Welcome to the first episode of the Frenemies podcast. Can you tell I'm excited? I'm Austin Green. I am your co-host along with my good friend and rival fan, Joel Asher. Joel, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Austin. I'm uh, I'm real excited to get this podcast started. As you said, uh, we are rivals, but we do share that love of sports in common. So we're going to be going through some of those rivalries, iconic moments um, in this first show today. And yeah, I'm just I'm just super excited to get this this off the ground here with you, Austin. Yes, sir. I can't I can't believe we finally uh, are getting this off the ground. This is something that we have talked about for a long time, and I am just so stoked that we are finally at this point. A little bit of background about me and Joel for our new listeners. Uh, we both went to Biola University and studied journalism. Uh, we graduated last May. Um, we both did a ton of work while at Biola covering sports on campus. And we both be- kind of became friends through that. We became friends pretty early on our freshman year. And Joel, do you want to tell uh, our listeners what happened the uh, first time we met? Yeah, so honestly, it's a it's a bit of a surprise that we remained friends after the first impression Austin made on me. So there's kind of a common room in our dormitory. We we shared the same dorm um, in college, and uh, I was watching some um, NFL football in the in the main like kind of common room with some friends. And Austin walked in, and I I, I kind of knew him a little bit already, but he he comes in, and uh, he I had my laptop sitting there, and and the next thing I look over, I see that. Uh, the iconic Bush push from the 2005, the cheating USC did there. Uh, I see that that's been changed to my screensaver. And uh, <laughs> let's just say I wasn't too pleased as a Notre Dame fan. I was, I was not happy to be reminded of that. I try and push it out of my brain as much as I can. So he didn't make the greatest first impression, but we've remained friends. I don't know. That's just a beautiful memory of mine. The Bush push and the pranking you. Um, but especially the Bush push. Um, it's a great memory of mine as a young USC fan. I've rooted for the USC Trojans for pretty much all my life. Joel is a diehard Notre Dame fan, along with pretty much the rest, I think the entire rest of your family, right? Yeah, so my grandpa is the only one who's still a USC fan, but um, my Uncle Tom, he uh, attended there from 1971 to 75. He's a proud uh, Irish grad, and so he's gotten our whole family on the bandwagon. Even my dad, who was a diehard USC fan growing up in uh, Pasadena, La Cunada, he was a diehard Trojan fan. Um, He's gotten him to turn. He took him to a game and got him on the sideline for kickoff somehow of a Purdue game back in 2002. So wow, my whole family has turned to the Irish fandom, definitely. So we're diehards. They've turned to the dark side, except your grandpa, the only good Asher left. Um, <laughs> now, I also grew up in the Pasadena area. And I, uh, obviously, for those of you listening who follow college football, you know that that is right by the Rose Bowl where UCLA plays. But it was also basically a second home for USC during the early 2000s because the Pete Carroll, Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner dynasty was either in that game or in the national championship game pretty much every year. It was an amazing time to be a football fan in Los Angeles. Nobody even needed an NFL team um, in the city at that point because we had the Trojans. And so I couldn't help as a young kid but to fall in love with them and uh, been a Trojan fan ever since. Through all the ups and downs since then, um, the many ups and the many downs, I still am a big fan of the Cardinal and Gold. Um, I also root for the Los Angeles Lakers and Los Angeles Dodgers, so it has been a very good year for me, despite all the other 2020 craziness, as well as the Los Angeles Rams of the National Football League. Um, I rooted for them pretty much ever since they came back to L.A. My dad was a Rams fan growing up, so it was kind of a natural transition for me and my family. Uh, and so, yeah, 
Now, Joel, I understand. I don't think your rooting interests quite exactly line up there. Yeah, no, <laughs> they definitely do not line up there. <laughs> I, I root for. I guess they're technically not in Los Angeles, although they are called the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. But I root for, yeah, the Major League Baseball team over there in Anaheim, led by the best player in baseball, but some of the worst management in baseball, I will say that. <laughs> Mike Trout is in his prime right now, and I've, I've loved the Angels since a young kid. Um, my uncle, who I mentioned earlier on the show, who went to Notre Dame, um, they live in Orange County, and we spend a lot of time, my family spent a lot of time down there with them, and he would always, growing up, take me to Angels games, and I just love the environment at Angels Stadium, fell in love with the team from a young age, went to so many games there, and they've always been my team for, for as long as I can remember. Um, they haven't had the recent success that the Dodgers have had. Um, I was <laughs> secretly hoping the Dodgers would obviously lose the World Series so I could still hold that they hadn't won since 88 and the Angels won in 02. But now 2020, all congrats, though, to the Los Angeles Dodgers 2020 World Series champs. And um, I'm also a Boston Celtics fan. Um, growing up, I, I grew up on the central coast of California in a small town called Santa Maria, about an hour north of Santa Barbara. And there's not really any major sports teams around, so... You kind of got to pick and choose who you root for, and I could have picked Lakers or Warriors, kind of in between the Bay Area and Los Angeles, but uh, I picked the Celtics. I fell in love with their players back in the day when um, Kevin Garnett, I mean, I just love, he's one of my all-time favorite players. I picked I picked the Celtics. Kevin Garnett was there, Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo, Ray Allen. Shout out to big baby Glenn Davis. Started rooting for the Celtics a um, long time ago, since I was a kid, and have been rooting for them ever since, and so... I run into a lot of hate here as a California native because a lot of people are either Warriors fans or especially L.A. Lakers fans going to college down in Los Angeles. So I ran into a lot of animosity a bit there. They're like, why are you a Celtics fan? But <laughs> I just love the players, fell in love with them. Um, sadly, I actually have not even been to Boston, but I, I need to go there someday. I need to go to TD Garden and catch a game. And um, then another team Austin mentioned, he's a fan of the Rams. I'm a fan of the other L.A. team that should not be in L.A., just my opinion, and a lot of other people in San Diego and in the greater San Diego area. But um, fell in love with the Chargers as a kid as well. Um, LaDainian Tomlinson, Hall of Fame running back, probably my favorite player to ever play in the National Football League um, while I was alive. I just, I just loved watching him. He's a strong believer. I just loved watching the guy um, play and the way he was off the field. He was such a leader. So I fell in love with the Chargers. They're now in L.A. sharing a stadium with the Rams and um, <laughs> heartbreaking start to the season. But, yeah, Austin and I don't share those teams in common, but we, we share a love for sports teams, um, some in similar areas and some across the country, but heated rivalries. What we do share, though, is just an avid passion for not only rooting for these teams, but also keeping up on the latest news, um, writing coverage for them. We've both done work um, at various web, at various team-oriented websites, covering our favorite sports teams, um, as well as a shared training and background in sports journalism, along with uh, relationships we've developed in and around these sports leagues um, and different uh, experiences that we've had um, just over our intense fandom that led to a love of sports journalism and sports media um, that provides a really, I think, really unique perspective, especially a shared perspective um, given our given our rival interests on sports, so that's what you can expect from this podcast. Um, you can expect we'll look at a lot of the latest news in and around sports, especially focusing on the teams we mentioned um, and kind of our differing perspectives. Occasionally, we may have some guests drop by to give perspective on one or more of those teams. But ultimately, this is the type of podcast where 
when I was looking at the podcast landscape, especially um, at the great work that our partners, Blue Wire Hustle, do all the way down through the Blue Wire flagship, um, all the way through the great startups now coming out on Hustle, is the fact that a lot of these really great team-oriented podcasts really do provide a great perspective on a certain team, but you occasionally don't get kind of the opposite perspective. Like, well, this is the type of podcast where we might talk about the latest news surrounding LeBron James and the Lakers, and Joel will be able to provide some of that perspective from a fan who hates the Lakers. Or, or likewise, something may break involving the Angels or Chargers, uh, maybe it's another heartbreaking loss for the Chargers on the last play of the game, which seems to be kind of par for the course this year. Sorry, Joel. Um, and I might provide a little more of an outside perspective of someone who isn't a big fan of the Chargers. I don't want to say hates them, but definitely is not super fond of them. So that's a lot of kind of the unique perspective and the unique angle that we're trying to bring here. And yeah, we hope you'll be on for the ride. So for the rest of this podcast, we'll be talking about kind of our favorite sports memories. Uh, Joel has mentioned the Dodgers winning the World Series this year. So Dodgers fans all over the place never have to hear about uh, 1988 again. I cannot tell you what a relief that is, what a burden (laughs) off the backs of people not having to hear about. Kirk stinking Gibson again. Don't get me wrong. That's an amazing moment in Dodgers history, but it's now no longer the most recent World Series championship in Dodgers history. So I'm very thankful to finally kind of be beyond that. This current core has been through so much together, um, especially the likes of Clinton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen, who, though they're clearly both past their primes, um, do finally get a World Series ring with the Dodgers thought was especially cool that after Kershaw waited so long, uh, he finally gets it in just outside of his hometown of Dallas, right there in the Rangers' beautiful new ballpark, um, as well as just uh, the fact that this team, from just kind of the rest of the roster all the way down, seeing Julio Urias uh, come up in, bay in clutch situations was awesome. I cried a bit when I saw Kershaw hoist the trophy with his family, is the fact that he finally gets his as one of the greatest pitchers of all time. As for the Lakers, I am very blessed to have now had six Lakers championships in my lifetime, which is an insane number. Three of those I remember pretty vividly. Um, I was between the ages of two and four when the Kobe Shaq 3P happened, so I, all my memories of those championship runs are pretty blurry. Um, I'd have to put this up second to the the one over the Celtics in 2010. That was just an incredible kind of cathartic moment, revenge for 08. Um, What I will say about this championship, though, even amidst all the bubble and all the crazy 2020 things that happened um, that the Lakers overcame in order to win this championship. For years, for the past six, seven, eight years, before this season, before the 2019-20 NBA season. The Lakers, as anyone who follows basketball will tell you, became a laughingstock. They stepped on rake after rake after rake. They had multiple kind of aborted rebuilds. They lost Jerry Buss, who was just, uh, Dr. Jerry Buss, who was just an incredible owner, an incredible kind of leader for the franchise. They had this intra-family kind of squabble that played out 
in public really messily between Genie Bus and Jim Bus, where Jim eventually got forced out. The Magic Johnson reign, even though he was able to sign LeBron James, was was an un, unmitigated disaster. Aside from that, and that is, you know, obviously saying, "Oh, but he signed LeBron," like that's not nothing. But pretty much everything else Magic did in his time as uh, president of basketball operations for the Lakers really didn't pan out. It seemed to kind of peak during LeBron's first season in L.A., which was, again, a disaster. The Lakers became a laughingstock, and as kind of NBA Twitter kind of grew and NBA fans online kind of found their voice, the Lakers became a punching bag, and for good reason. Imagine if, you know, you you grew up watching your team get beaten by Kobe, whether you're a Blazers fan or a, or a Nuggets fan um, from the Carmelo days or a Suns fan or a even a Spurs fan where you know you realize he may have even more titles if the Lake if the Kobe Shaq Lakers hadn't been around or a jazz fan. And now this team has become such a laughing stock. They can't get out of their own way. Of course you're gonna want to mock them. It's cathartic. Of course you're gonna want to um point point at them and laugh at how they're kind of they can't seem to get out of their own way. Joel as a Celtics fan um, I want to get your take on this in a second. But even then, you know, this, the Lakers did beat the Celtics in 2010. And after that, as both their cores age, the Lakers kind of imploded and the Celtics swung that kind of insanely lopsided, looking back on it, trade with Brooklyn to get rid of Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And really kind of, even though not all those draft picks panned out, really set themselves up for the future in a way the Lakers just couldn't really transition out of the out of the Kobe Bryant era nearly as smoothly. And I will say just watching the Lakers Lakers fans and the Lakers brand take so many hits over the last few years. And I doubted them. I will be the first to admit I did not think that Jeannie Buss's leadership um and the way she kind of handled the basketball side after Jim was forced out I did not think that that was going to be a, I did not see a road back to success. They proved me wrong. They proved everyone else wrong. And just to know that like, you know, the Lakers were just able to be the Lakers again in the midst of everything else, in the midst of even just this chaos, but even just the fact of, you know, then you have the Clippers coming in uh, and saying Kawhi and Paul George, and you have uh, the Nuggets with a really ascendant young core. Um, just the fact that the Lakers were still able to kind of build an identity around we're still the freaking Lakers and be able to kind of just bully anyone in their path on the way to another championship um, and just kind of remind everyone that, no, the Lakers are not going to fade away into oblivion for the next few decades. We are going to still be here and we are still going to be the force to be reckoned with that we always are. And for Lakers fans, that was very cathartic. And so that's why I think this, you know, you see such a kind of outpouring of kind of um, joy. We saw the crowds in downtown L.A., uh, which I don't exactly approve of because social distancing and all that. But there was just kind of this this relief of it's almost relief of, yes, no, we're not we're not going to fade. We're not going to fade away. We're not we're not some dynasty that we're going to tell our kids about when the Lakers were, you know, when the Lakers were good last. 
the Lakers are still the freaking Lakers. So that's my little spiel for kind of memories in the past and memories recent. Joel, you had, um, I know you have a lot to say about uh, stuff I said, as well as some other recent memories that um, I know that you are very excited about right now. Yeah, right. So going off of that, first off, congratulations to both the Dodgers and Lakers. It's been a fantastic season for both of those LA teams as they it had been a long time since either of them had won, especially the Dodgers. So congratulations to them. Um, for me, I'll, <laughs> I got to say it has been a bit of a rough stretch in general during my lifetime for my teams. I've had, I've had some championships, um, but not nearly as many as Austin's enjoyed with the Lakers. The Celtics obviously do have just as many, um, but a lot of those came back in the day of um, Tommy Heinsohn. Um, I just want to take a moment to give my condolences to his family and the whole Celtic family, just an absolutely legendary Celtic. He played there, Hall of Fame player, won eight titles, including seven in a row with the Celtics. But he's just he's just an amazing person on and off the court. He won two titles as a coach of the Boston Celtics and then went on to commentate for them. Um, he poured his whole life and soul into the Boston Celtics. And as long as the Boston Celtics are around, he will be treasured and always remembered. So Tommy Heinsohn, just legendary. But Obviously, the Celtics in 2008, um, I do remember that. I was an avid Celtics fan then, and I was I was elated to see that we had beat the Lakers, obviously, in 2008. Um, they did come back with that revenge game, but that's definitely got to be one of my favorite memories is that title in 2008. Um, other than that, the titles have not come from my teams. I root for the Chargers. They've never won a Super Bowl in their history. They've been to one and got absolutely destroyed by Steve Young and the Niners, so not a ton of amazing memories coming from the Chargers. Back in the early 2000s and into the 2010s, they would win the division over in the AFC West pretty consistently. Um, Phillip Rivers was in the prime of his career. We had LaDainian Tomlinson and Sean Phillips, Sean Merriman. We had some stellar stellar players, but they never quite put it together <laughs> to get past Tom Brady. We had one year when Drew Brees was there. We were 14-2. and two. We had the one seed in the in the AFC and just couldn't couldn't put it together. Tom Brady, this upstart guy, came in. So I know I should be talking about favorite memories. I shouldn't, but that is one of the memories that that does sting a bit. But um, Angels, they won it in 2002. I was I was four years old, so the memory, like Austin said, for some of those early Laker ones, the memory is a little bit blurry there. For um, as far as the Angels go, um, as far as my favorite all-time team um, is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team, and um, it has been a long run, just like the Dodgers. I'm hoping it spells success. The Dodgers last won in 88, and they've won the title this year. That is the last time that Notre Dame has won. They won the 11th of their national titles in 1988. and so It was 88? I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, so 1988, back uh, we had Tim Brown. So back then was the last time that the Irish won a title. It's been a long time coming the Irish have they've had a lot of good teams in between um but kind of kind of like the Dodgers haven't quite been able to get over the hump they've gotten there they've gotten close haven't gotten there but the Dodgers did it this year and I'm hoping that spells success and there are encouraging signs um as I know it's recent memory but it <laughs> I'm gonna remember it for a long time this past weekend um the number one team in the nation came into Notre Dame Stadium in the Clemson Tigers and they were without Trevor Lawrence, but they have an excellent five-star quarterback, DJ Uyangalale. Um and he came in and he played an amazing game. But the Irish, the Irish had a lead and then lost it. And I think at one point, um, I know ESPN has their FPI index, their their um, percentage of 
um, what percentage the team has to win. And Clemson went on top with about three minutes left. And I think it was at 98.5% that uh, the Clemson Tigers would take the win. But Ian Book, the, the fifth-year senior from El Dorado Hills, he brought his team 91 yards down the field in a little, a little over a minute to tie the game and send it to overtime. And when, when that ball fell to the ground on that last 4th and 24 play, I, <laughs> I did shed a little tear because Notre Dame has just experienced so much heartache against top teams. And the story has been that we get to those big games and we, we fall short on the big stage. Um, namely, in 2018, we fell very short against Clemson. We were in the semifinals mm-hmm. of the college football playoff and took a just brutal 30-3 to defeat. We never were really in the game other than the first quarter. And that was kind of... I feel like people forget that was kind of the initial a lot of people claim Trevor Lawrence's breakout game happened the, the next week against Bama, which is fair. But that I mean, he looked amazing in that game, too. I remember watching this and that was kind of the first moment where I was like, wow, this this guy is this guy is legit. This guy isn't just kind of coasting off of Clemson's talent. Um, this this guy might actually be as good as, if not better, than Deshaun Watson. Yeah, no, Trevor Lawrence is an incredible quarterback. Um, I think what really impressed me is that he can also run the ball. I mean, the guy the guy has obviously a cannon for an arm. He has an amazingly accurate arm, but he can also run the ball. And yeah, no, he's he's incredible, and um, he definitely was missed this past weekend. But for me, for to see Notre Dame get a number one team in our stadium. Um, the first time a number one team has come to Notre Dame Stadium since 1993 when the Florida State Seminoles came to Notre Dame Stadium and the Irish were able to knock them off that week. Um, this was the first time since then that we'd really had a big, um, highly ranked number one opponent come into our stadium. Most of our matchups have been on the road against these top teams and that has not spelled success for the Irish. They've lost a lot of those, but it was just amazing to kind of see us get that monkey off our back. Notre Dame can win against a top team. Um, they, they didn't fall flat. We showed a lot of guts at the end and won in overtime. And um, the field <laughs> the field was rushed, and um, Brian Kelly foresaw that happening. He told his players, he's, he was confident. He said, when we beat Clemson tonight, the players are going to rush the field. You guys need to try and get off and into the tunnel as quickly as possible. Um, hard to contain the excitement. And uh, quarterback Ian Book was just on ESPN the other night with Scott Van Pelt, and he kind of asked him about that. Like, isn't that hard, you know? Notre Dame Stadium has not been rushed. The field hasn't been rushed since 1993, and you want to you want to celebrate with the people who support you so much. And he said he said it was really hard because obviously that's just a a memory all of them will will carry with them forever, and it's so exciting. But during this COVID-19 times, um, you you can't take that risk. I mean, players get it, and and it delays the season and could could even ruin your playoff chances if you have too many games postponed. So. He said it was a conflict, but he just grabbed as many teammates as he could, and they tried to tried to get off the field. But yeah, it was it was just an amazing night, um, and I I will remember it forever, even though it was such recent memories. Um, no matter what happens the rest of the season, um, likely likely that we will have a matchup again with Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. Looking forward to that one. But yeah, Notre Dame has had a rich history, and uh, hoping they can continue it this year. And like the Dodgers, even though I wasn't so pleased that they won. Since their title in 88, I'm hoping maybe we can have a little lineup with that. The Irish haven't won, and I think they're due as well. There you go. There you go. Um, 1988 was also the last year that uh, a former vice president got elected president. So, you know, things can seems like a lot of uh, history is repeating itself this year. Actually, I do believe George Bush was in office, was still in office as VP when he got elected president. But anyway, still, congrats to Joe Biden. Anyway. 
Um, what I will say about Ian Book coming from a USC fan's perspective, I I wasn't impressed by the guy, to be honest. It's like, cool, Notre Dame got a semi-competent quarterback um, who's not going to kind of who's not going to kind of be a turnover machine that, you know, Brandon Wimbush was. That said, I will say kind of watching him through the past few years and been like, okay, he's good. He's got a really talented team, but he's solid. He can definitely, I mean, it's, you know, even if you have a talented team, it's still an accomplishment to make the playoff. Last year, I know, was a little rougher. What he did against Clemson, First of all, it's obviously legacy-defining, as you kind of touched on, in terms of who he will be remembered as, as a Notre Dame quarterback. But also, that just kind of showed me that, okay, this he's earned his stardom. He's earned kind of that top tier of, you know, what he did in that fourth quarter. What he did, just kind of not flashy. He's never been much of a flashy guy, but at pinpoint accurate, can move around, um, can get the job done. To do that, it's one thing to do that kind of game in, game out. Um, that's obviously an accomplishment and obviously something that turns you into um, a great quarterback. But to do that against Clemson with, you know, I know that they were banged up. I know Lawrence wasn't there, obviously. Um, like you said, um, I'm going to botch his name. Uyangalele. 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 We saw him play in high school, and I still can't. Uh, I, I still can't pronounce his name right. My my apologies to DJ and Dave and the rest of their family. <laughs> um, but just to see Ian Book do something like that against Clemson, I think just and kind of play the same game he always has. Um, and finally, like you said, kind of get the monkey off his back as well because he's had losses. You know, he's had that he had that loss to Georgia. He's had obviously the loss to Clemson a couple of years ago. He's definitely like he he knows what it's like to lose in big games, and so to to remain unfazed even with that history, and do what he's always done, and just just get enough get enough done to win. Hats off to Ian Book. He is he kind of cemented his Notre Dame legend, um, and yeah, it'll be you know I I think Notre Dame has definitely put college football on notice will it last especially in an ACC championship matchup with a very very motivated Clemson and probably a healthy Trevor Lawrence I don't know but that said hats off to Ian Book yeah yeah just a quick note on Ian Book I know a lot it's so interesting and it kind of shows about the pedigree of both I mean obviously both USC and Notre Dame are storied programs but Ian Book is 27 and 3 as a starter but you've heard grumblings the past three seasons from the Notre Dame fans. The standard is high at both Notre Dame and USC. Um, and yeah, the Irish haven't quite been able to get over that hump. He's only lost three games. He lost that one in 2018. To uh, They had a 12-0 season loss in the playoffs to Clemson. And then last year, we took a close one to Georgia and had a tough loss to Michigan. But yeah, Ian Book is 27-3 and and is in the top five of almost every passing category in Notre Dame history. Cemented himself in there. He's just below Brady Quinn. Um, in a lot of those categories, who is um, probably my favorite quarterback to ever play at Notre Dame. But, yeah, he's he's been incredible, and I'm hoping we can continue it. And another thing I, sh- I just wanted to talk to you also about is um, we got all the Power Fives back, and the last one is the Pac-12. Started it off with a noon kickoff with the USC Trojans this past Saturday. And, man, what were you thinking with three minutes left? You guys are down 13 points. It wasn't looking good. I was like, there's no way they're going to win. I flipped it over to the Georgia game. What were you thinking as that all unfolded as USC was able to make that comeback? 
I was thinking of a three-word creed that myself and many other uh, USC faithful have uttered for now the past three, two to three years. Fire, Clay, Helton. Um, you're going to hear me say that a lot on this podcast, just a fair <laughs> warning. I am not a Clay Helton fan. I do not believe he is the guy to lead USC back to the promised land, back to regular contention uh, for a national title. Arizona State, if Arizona State doesn't muff that onside kick, we're having a very different conversation about that game. Hats off to Keaton Slovis for coming through in the clutch. He and especially our wide receiver core proved what I think everyone kind of understands about USC's strengths, which is our skill position players can go toe-to-toe with anyone in the nation. Um, and I really do mean anyone, like in terms of those position groups, like our wide receivers, I would absolutely put them up against Bama's core even with a healthy Jalen model and Clemson's core as well that said it's clear this team is not ready to play football on a national championship caliber we should be we have like I said we have pockets of talent we did lose some key offensive line depth to COVID-19 opt-outs and you could really tell that with how bad our blocking was Again, I'm. we could honestly, from here on out, USC could run the table and end up in the Pac-12 championship game, and that would be great. That I mean, all I would absolutely celebrate that. I wasn't really expecting much. I mean, we obviously didn't even think the Pac-12 would even play um, up until a few weeks ago. But long-term, um, with a lot of returners coming back next year after a really young team last year that went 8-4 and four and did pretty solid, next year should be the window. Will Clay Helton still be that guy, still be the guy to lead that team to what should be on paper, I believe, a national championship contender, or at the very least, the favorite to win the Pac-12, um, alongside perhaps Oregon? I just still haven't seen anything, and certainly didn't see anything last game to convince me that long-term Clay Helton is going to lead this team back to the promised land. What I did see is pockets of hope especially in the last three minutes there with the way our wide receivers with the way drake london played with the way almond ross and brown played with the way um it was so great to see brew mccoy back out there healthy on the field um getting the touchdown the talent is there now clay helton's recruiting is another thing i've really knocked him on but in certain position groups like like i've said the talent is there helton has laid a foundation Next year will be the chance to build on that foundation. And I, again, I just haven't seen anything from Clay Helton to tell me that, yes, they can build on that foundation and be considered a national championship contender. So that's where my head's at. That's where my, that's where my head's at. You know, great game. Slovis, Slovis kind of woke up early or woke up late there and was really, um, the air raid seemed to finally click a little bit more. Um, after Notre Dame, or excuse me, Arizona State seemed to kind of read it like a book over the first three quarters. The blocking is going to be suspect all year. I don't expect that to change, which means we could absolutely blow um, any game to uh, a Pac-12 division rival on the rest of our schedule because if you don't have good blocking, anything could happen. We both watched the Washington State game from a couple years ago with Sam Darnold. We know we we know very well what happened there. Um, so, again, I just that's that's where my head's at is just in terms of can we get can USC get through the season maybe make it to the Pac-12 championship game? Yes, could they do so next season on talent alone? Possibly, with the talent they should have 
in store for next season, provided most players come back after the shortened season. I just don't see a way. I I just I just don't see a way in which Helton takes them to that next level. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, definitely hope. Hope you're wrong on that one. I I don't hope <laughs> as an Irish fan. It, it's a little weird this year. The Irish and USC obviously have a long-standing history. I think they've I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's about 93 years consecutively that the Irish and Trojans I believe they um, missed a year. Don't quote me on I that. I believe they missed a year during World War II. I'll double check that, but I believe yeah, they missed a think, year in the early think, 1940s. Yeah, so I think it's been since then though, since World War II mm-hmm. that Notre Dame and USC haven't played, but this year is anything but normal. So obviously that long-standing tradition um, not happening this year, which is a little weird to it not see Notre Dame USC. It it's obviously a big headline game every year. So next year that'll happen. Um, yep. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens then. But for now, uh, the trash talking can be held to a mum because we don't get to play each other. But yeah. Notre Dame does have a four-game win streak. That's what I'll leave it at. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, those those days of. Adoree Jackson taking, excuse me, Adoree Jackson running every single uh, kickoff and punt back for a touchdown in a Rainzo Coliseum at the end of 2016. Those days feel like a lifetime ago. And, you know, again, that was the year where everything seemed to click. I was, even as some other USC fans I know were saying, you know, Clay Helton's really not that good of a coach. This is on talent alone. I was fully on board. I was fully a convert, obviously, that. Um, Notre Dame, oh, excuse me, that Rose Bowl game, uh, that win over Penn State, great memory of mine as well. But it's clear, again, Notre Dame, as of right now, and this has been the case for the past few years, is much, much, much closer to national championship contention than USC is. And that in itself, especially given where we were four years ago, and obviously Brian Kelly did an amazing job kind of overhauling his staff and turning around Notre Dame that year. Um, the the following year, excuse me, but that I mean that should be a travesty for USC that we haven't come anywhere near that success, and now Notre Dame will probably be clearly fa- favored in our game next year again, the game between Notre Dame and USC. So that's that's a really really tough pill to swallow for USC fans. Yeah, definitely. But there's been long long streaks dating back. Um, USC had a streak back in the. Back in the 80s where they had won a lot of games in a row, about seven in a row, the Irish have gone on eight, nine-game win streaks. Both have. They've traded them. Right now the Irish are on a little bit of a run. But, you know, those teams, nothing is ever a given in those games. Mm -hmm. I've seen many games where uh, USC comes in the heavy favorite and Notre Dame has somehow pulled off the win. They're having a losing season. But when you get into a rivalry game like that, which kind of segues us into our our last point just about rivalries. When you get into a rivalry game, it's it's more than just a game. It's it's history on the line. It's pride on the line. There's a trophy on the line. It's about your school and upholding their honor and their tradition is what rivalry is to me. And when Notre Dame and USC meet, it's all about that. And USC always gives the Irish a tough fight even when they don't aren't having the best year and the Irish are supposed to win and vice versa. It's just always a classic game. Mm-hmm. usually comes down to one score. Um, and it's just it's just an amazing rivalry to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even just kind of expanding beyond college athletics, every time the Lakers and Celtics play each other in the regular season, you know it's going to be on national TV. You know it's going to be on primetime. You know the history that goes into that game. You know that there is no love lost. 
especially with LeBron James, who was a Celtics foe long before he donned the purple and gold, now on the Lakers. Um, even when the Lakers were bad, I remember Kobe's last year where the Lakers won 17 games. They beat the Celtics in the Boston Garden, and that was just kind of, that was one of the, probably, that that's still one of my favorite memories from kind of that entire stretch of Lakers struggling is Kobe Bryant being able to go out on top in the Boston Garden in his final game there. With that, you know, with that all said, obviously the Rams and Chargers have played each other a couple times. Um, there's not as much of an intra-city rivalry there. Um, Dodgers and Angels do have the freeway series. There's definitely no love loss there. But like you said about rivalries, especially those those marquee ones like the Lakers and Celtics, or the uh, or the or the Trojans and the Fighting Irish, you don't know what's going to happen. One team could come in. It, it doesn't the all the advantages, all the kind of the this is how it should play out on paper. All of that goes out the window because it's a rivalry game. Because every single player on there knows the importance of this game. Knows this isn't a typical. Knows this isn't kind of your typical Saturday or your typical Thursday night. And they wanted to go out there and, yes, always leave it out on the court or the field, but especially in a game like this. And so I think that's what, I mean, we can, like we said, we opened this show with kind of our really good memory, for me at least, of a rivalry game. Um, but it is those games that I think kind of power our love for sports and those storylines, too, that kind of power our love for sports and how much, like, you know, you don't just love to root for the team root for your favorite teams you love to root against your least favorite teams and that i think is another kind of big factor behind sports passion and something that i think we both kind of really share there yeah definitely i'm just i am a huge history fan in general i love i mm -hmm. love studying history and um you put those two together i love history and i love sports i love the history behind rivalries in sports and so that that just means a lot to me um i always like watching um the previews on ESPN Sports Center, whatever it may be, before before those big rivalry games, I always love. Um, there's usually like a long hour long special sometimes on the Notre Dame USC rivalry, and it just it goes back and traces just the incredible games that the Irish and um, Trojans have had, and and same can be said about Celtics Lakers, and it's just incredible the amount of years. It's it really is mind boggling when you think about it. How many years this rivalry has been going on for between some of our favorite teams and it's just it's incredible to look back on the crazy championships won over each other the upsets and it's just it just is more than a game they were saying um in the notre dame clemson game they were saying this isn't just a college football game this is notre dame clemson well it's more than a game it's 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 pride on the line it's history on the line and it's just going out and showing what your school is made of against their most hated rivalry I just, I just love it. I don't know about you. I, well, I do yep. know about you. I know you love it, and I, I love rivalries. They're just incredible. That's what this podcast is all about. I can't wait to uh, bring you guys in more to our perspectives and, and our insights as rival fans. Um, we will be exploring some of that history, some of these episodes. We will also be taking a look at a lot of the latest sports news. We have the NBA draft coming up. Obviously, Notre Dame is now right in the thick of the hunt for a college football playoff spot. We have the MLB offseason as well. The NFL season is in full swing. So there's a lot. There will be a lot of current news to cover um, as well as some. We'll, we'll do some more trips down memory lane. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you next time.